We're back at Calix Cafe, where I'm talking to Steve Palmatier from Ro, who specialized in IRT, also known as Interactive Response Technology. So let's get going. Hi everyone and welcome back to Calix Cafe. Today I am joined by Stilf Parmatier, who is from Ro and is specialized in IRT. And in case you wonder what it's like to witness a conversation between two people who are passionate about IRT, well, you're just about to see it now. Hi Steve and welcome. It's very nice to have you at the Calix Cafe. Uh, it looks like you're sitting outside. That's very nice. Yeah, I'm sitting out on my deck. Uh, it's uh, a little brighter out here, a little better for the video. Yeah, it looks really, really nice. And glad that you're enjoying the, the nice weather where it lasts. Uh, do you have any hot drink uh, or cold drink, <laughs> depending on the temperature? I do. I have uh, I have some coffee. I already went through my four shots of espresso this morning, so this is just kind of a little bit of a caffeine refill. Wow, four shots. That would uh, get me uh, overexcited, and uh, I'm not sure I would be able to do much. Um, I've spent years building up the appropriate tolerance. <laughs> it sounds like you have your, your coffee uh, right like you want it, and you've... Uh, You've specialized it over the years. Interesting. Um, so we'll uh, go into, uh, I think, partial uh, unblinding in a bit. Uh, but before we, we go into the details of that topic, um, would you be able to tell us how you got into the industry and how long you've been at Rofor? Sure. Um, so back in college, I did a little bit of um, scripting for some online computer games. Um, didn't know what I wanted to do after college. I went to a fly fishing guide school in Colorado and um, had a possible job lined up doing some salmon fly fishing guiding up in Alaska. They called me and said that all of their guides came back that year and they didn't have a spot for me. So I reached out to my friend, Russ Helms, um, whose family founded Roe back in the early 80s. And he said, well, I think I have just the thing for you based on your experience. And um, he hired me to be the first scripter for Roe's proprietary IRT system that they built and released um, in the very early 2000s. And I've uh, been working in IRT ever since. I um, configured and scripted the IRT for a few years and then moved into a leadership role and I've been leading the IRT team at Rove for the last 12 to 14 years. So from fly fishing to a career in IRT, I think that's uh, the most unusual career path we've had so far on the Calix Cafe, so thank you for that. <laughs> Um, and you've been in the industry for 18 years, that's uh, quite impressive. Um, and well, talking about like the time you've been in the industry for, have you seen any changes in IRT over those 18 years? Oh, absolutely. So when I first joined um, the industry, there was still a lot of um, randomization by phone. There was a lot of IVRS, interactive voice response. 
um, over the next five to 10 years, there was a big transition to web. And then beyond that, we've been transitioning more and more to um, mobile integrated functionality. Um, and also, of course, the complexity of study design has increased during that time. Back, um, back when I joined, the FDA was still a little bit skeptical about baseline adaptive randomization or dynamic allocation. Um, at this point, they've pretty much accepted that. And so there's more studies that aren't using scheduled randomization. There's um, additional trial design advancements like seamless phase two, phase three trials, um, uh, re-estimation of sample sizes in the middle of studies, et cetera. So, you know, there's a, a constant push toward more complexity and the IRT world is, uh, is, you know, trying to keep up with that all the time. Yeah, I, uh, I fully understand what you're meaning by that, yes. Um, and actually, um, recently someone commented on, on one of uh, our LinkedIn posts uh, and they said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that uh, IRT is uh, the most underrated e-clinical technology. What do you think about that? Uh, I, I think that I, I, I can't really comment intelligently on that particular comment, but what I would say is that I think there's a lot of misunderstanding out there in the industry about the differences between other data capture technologies and IRT. Um, so for instance, everyone knows EDC, um, but there's a really distinct difference between EDC and IRT because EDC is really meant as a repository for data that comes from other places. Um, whereas IRT is unique in that it is creating study data um, based on other data that are entered. So the IRT is actually the origin of the randomization data and the kits that are dispensed. Um, rather than EDC. Um, and, and as a result, it's much easier to go and fix problems in EDC, um, whereas in IRT, you know, if it didn't happen quite right, fixing it doesn't make it right, it just makes it inaccurate. Yeah, that's a very good definition of the, the difference um, between IRT and EDC. Thank you. Um, and so I know you're, you're very passionate about the, the topic of uh, partial unblinding or the risk of partial unblinding. Uh, I'm not sure our audience is very familiar with this uh, concept. Would you be able to explain what you mean by that? I'd be happy to. So um, we'll start with normal unblinding, of course. Uh, full unblinding is when um, someone who should not know the treatment assignment of a subject uh, becomes aware of the treatment assignment of the subject. And there are, of course, times when that is appropriate. For instance, if there's a medical emergency for which knowledge of the treatment is important in determining the treatment of, of the subject's um, issue. Um, but there are also times when it shouldn't happen. Um, so, you know, if if everything is going fine, you don't want a primary investigator to know a subject's treatment because that could um, bring uh, bias into their observations. They may say, oh, they're on placebo. So, you know, while this lab came out really good, let's just try it again and make sure instead of accepting um, the, the data as, as they come in um, without questioning them. Uh, partial unblinding, on the other hand, is not necessarily knowing exactly what a treatment's or a subject's treatment assignment is. It is 
knowing either that the subject has the same treatment assignment as someone else or being able to eliminate possible treatment assignments. So you're narrowing the possibilities um, of, of treatment knowledge about that subject or those subjects. So not quite as bad as inappropriate full unblinding, but it, it still has the potential to introduce bias and therefore water down um, the, the integrity of, of the data. Okay, so why are you uh, so passionate about partial unblinding specifically? Um, well, I think it's uh, everything that has a potential impact in a clinical trial needs a champion, um, especially if that is going to have an impact on patient safety or on data integrity. Um, and while there are a lot of people who are knowledgeable and passionate about making sure that full unblinding doesn't happen, partial unblinding is a little bit less understood. Um, it's it, it still has an impact that can re require um, it, it can require you to deal with it if it happens um, to to try to protect the blind as much as possible and protect data integrity as much as possible um, and it's one of those things where the more you are aware of it the more you see the potential um, so working in the IRT space and being unblinded on all the studies that I work on um, and seeing how supply algorithms are set up and how randomization schedules are set up, um, it's easier for me to see where those possible risks are and to try to address them proactively. Um, the people who are fully blinded on the study don't have that visibility into how things are set up and configured, and, and therefore they um, they really can't necessarily see that risk as easily until something happens. So in order to in order to avoid it, I kind of take it upon myself to worry about partial unblinding day in and day out. So you're the one reducing the risk of partial unblinding. Then is that what you're saying? Yeah, um, my my group and I have a, a better view into that than most of the other um, team members that we work with, for sure. Okay, I see. And so, like, I guess there are multiple ways of reducing partial or unblinding or, or the risk of partial unblinding. Are there any specific ways uh, you do it within your team? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, from a high level, we go through a risk-based quality management process at the beginning of each study. And, you know, all the different representatives from different functional areas um, kind of identify risks that they see. And those aren't just related to partial unblinding or unblinding. There are all sorts of risks, but, but we fold our um, risk identification into that process. Um, and to be more specific, um, a lot of times partial unblinding, uh, the, the risk for it is kind of baked into the processes or the, the way that data are set up. Um, and as it relates to IRT, there are really two big areas where partial unblinding can occur. One is as a result of the way that the randomization schedule is set up and, and I mean, assuming it's a scheduled randomization rather than an adaptive or, or a dynamic allocation. Um, and the second is the way that the supply algorithms to resupply the sites are, are set up. Um, so for instance, I'll take each one in turn. On the randomization algorithm side, 
if you have a three-arm trial and you're randomizing one to one to one and your block sizes are three, then you know, you know that in any given block you have one of each treatment. And if someone gets unblinded within a block and you find out that they are treatment one, you therefore can assume that the other two subjects in that block are not treatment one. So that's that's one place that that occurs. Um, and one way to mitigate that is to use variable block sizes. So you can not only just use a block size of three, you can use block sizes of three and six or three and six and nine and um, mix those up so that, you know, when someone is unblinded, you never know whether they're in a block of size six or a block of size three. And you can't make any assumptions about the other treatments. Um, on the supply algorithm side, you know, the, the classic case of something that you don't want to do is you don't want to send an initial shipment to a site and then resupply after one subject is is randomized with a single kit because then the site can say, oh, well, I've only randomized one subject. I just got one kit. I'm going to guess that that kit is the same treatment as the subject I just randomized. Um, and, and that's, of course, the simplest example, but you can there are other ways in the supply algorithm that you can get to the same point. So, you know, if if you only randomize two people and you get, you know, two kits or, or, or whatever, there are, there are a variety of ways that can occur. And you just try to set up the algorithm in a way so that when a shipment occurs, you can't make any assumptions about what is in that shipment. Um, and also um, most IRTs at this point also allow you to include dummy kits and shipments. So if a shipment is requested and it contains only one kit or only one type of kit, most IRTs can be configured so that a different type of kit is added to that to obfuscate the contents of the shipment. Wow, that's a very, very interesting, very thorough explanation. Thank you. And I was, as you were going through this explanation, it struck me how much goes into uh, defining all this so that people don't see something. Usually you'll spend a lot of time making sure that people see the information, but here you're trying to hide it. So it's very interesting indeed. Um, well, thank you uh, very much. I'm conscious that we don't have much time left. Um, before we, we go, uh, I'd really like to know, if you don't mind sharing, what you would like to see in the future of IRT or clinical trials that would get you excited and that you, you think would be really interesting to see. For IRT specifically, I think that one of the areas that we as an industry can add value is um, maximizing the signals among the noise. So, so one thing that there's been a push on recently is additional logging of events. You know, logging when people um, access the system, when they modify data, etc. Um, however, one of the problems with additional information is there is a lot of noise and you kind of have to sort through that noise to find the nuggets of information that are really important to you. Um, a lot of IRT systems at this point are generating alerts based on 
things that happen that are potentially problematic. So low inventory at depot, upcoming expirations, um, stuff like that. I think that one step forward that the IRT industry could take is to one, capture the assumptions that you're using to make decisions and then alert the people managing the IRT system when those assumptions are not valid. So if you are assuming that a site is only going to randomize two subjects a week and they've randomized five subjects a week, two weeks in a row, it would be great if IRT could say, hey, your assumptions are, are not accurate. So maybe you should go back and adjust some things so that you know the the configuration that you've created is working on these new assumptions that are more accurate um that's that's one particular place that i think that we could add value yeah that makes perfect sense so essentially instead of just sharing the information analyze that information first and then share a potential action yeah i fully agree with you Great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Steve. It's been very interesting. Uh, I could carry on talking to you for much longer than this. Uh, and I'm sure our audience have learned a lot about partial unblinding. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure and I hope we get a chance to speak soon. Take care. You too. And, and it's been a pleasure being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. And to everyone, thank you for watching this video and we'll see you soon at Calix Cafe for another episode.